Take your Bible with me this morning and turn back to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. This will be the second lesson in this series, The Christian Walk. This will be The Christian Walk Part 2. And as I think about uh, The Christian Walk, one verse comes to my mind. I can't remember. I was sitting here as I was thinking about it because, it's, again, it's not in my notes. This is in my head, so I'll, I hope that I get it right. Uh, but Paul said in one of his other epistles to believers, to justified saints, is you have received the Lord Jesus Christ, so walk ye in him. It doesn't say he's going to make you walk in him. He said, what's it? It's our responsibility to walk in him. And I know a lot of people say, oh, you're getting legal. This ain't got nothing to do with legality. It is the just, that's the key to understanding it. It is the justified saint. You hear that? The justified saint's responsibility to walk in Christ. Now that doesn't mean, I'm not talking about, and we shouldn't be that, you know, we shouldn't be ungodly men and women anyhow. I mean, that's just the long and the short of it. We cannot and we do not want to find ourselves among those that make the grace of God a license for disobedience. We're not looking for that. But when we're talking about walking in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're talking a, lo- a whole lot more than not drinking a beer or smoking a cigarette or going to church every single solitary Sunday. What are we talking about? Walk in him. Well, it's, it's by faith, resting in his blood and his righteousness in the good times or the bad times. When we sin grievously or when we haven't sinned grievously, which that is not too many times, if we're honest. But that's what walking in Christ is by faith, believing him, taking him at his word, and, and to walk in order to walk in him, what have we got to do? We have to use the means God has given us to grow us and mature us in this walk of faith. What does that mean? That means we study the scriptures. That means we listen to sermons. We read good books instead of, uh, you know, the things of time and sense, what do we pay attention to? The things which are spiritual and eternal. I mean, Moses had everything a person could ever possibly have as a human being. Did he not? And yet he, he, can, he, he despised the riches of this life because what was more important to it? Christ, his blood, his righteousness, his redeemer. So we, you know, it's our responsibility. And it doesn't happen by osmosis. You don't just sit there and think, well, okay, you'll say, Lord, if you want me to grow and mature and become confident, you make me grow and mature and become more confident. No, he uses means. And the means are in your hands. The means are given to you when we come together every Sunday. You have an opportunity and a responsibility and a privilege every time we meet, where should you be? Huh? Me too. I mean, I'm, you know, I got to be here. Where should you be? You see that? Well, I don't understand why I don't have any, any confidence in my hope in Christ. Well, i tell you why. You hadn't studied to show yourself approved unto God. You hadn't believed the promises. You hadn't focused on that which gives you confidence. Do you see that? That's what he's, he's, he has given you all the tools. He's given you all the tools in the first three chapters of this book that should fill us with confidence to walk in him. Why? We're saved. Huh? Did anybody tell us that in false religion? Oh, you believed you're, 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 
You've accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, but there was that always that big three-letter word at the end of it. What was it? But. I'm telling you, the gospel has got no buts in it. You hear me? There's not if you, and there's not any ifs in it. All those if passages we see are, are evidential ifs. They're not, they're not ifs that make something that you could possibly fall away. Now, don't, you've got to get those kind of thoughts out of your mind. If Christ justified you by his obedience unto death, can't be lost. Because I tell you what, if one whom Christ justified by his obedience unto death can be lost, Christ failed. Now, that's important. We have to keep that in mind. So that's, that's where our confidence is at. Study the promises. Study what you've been made. We're going to talk about it this morning. In, uh, do, you, do you realize that you and I, who are sinners by birth, by nature, by practice, and by choice, by God's will, command, and purpose, we have been made already the very righteousness of God in Him. He sees you, if you're one of His, washed in His blood, clothed in His righteousness, regenerated and converted by His Holy Spirit. He sees you as you sit here this morning or as you watch us on this, this, these live streams. He sees you as a believing, justified saint, holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in His sight. That just staggers my mind. Uh-huh. That's good news, isn't it? To know that this God is reconciled to me, that he is not my enemy, that he will never leave me nor forsake me, that he will never cast me away, that he will never charge sin to me. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. He will say, there he goes again. He said you can do as much as you want to and God won't charge it to you. I have not said that and I do not believe that. But thank God I know this much. When I do sin, he will not charge it to me because he's charged it one of two places. He either charges it to you or he charges it to your substitute, your surety, your representative. And the thing of it is, when Christ died 2,000 years ago, every single solitary sin old Richard Warmack would ever commit in his life, what were they? Every one of them were future sin. Not just the ones up to when I believed, but the ones that happened after I believed. They were future sin. And when he cried, it's finished, folks, it was finished. It was. Now look back. We, we got part way through verse 2. I want to go back there this morning. Let's read it again this morning. He says, With all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. When I read that, the first thought that comes into my mind is that you have to say that and exhort this way people who possess everything that he's told us they possess in the first three chapters. Uh-huh. We have Christ. All things are We have Christ. Every one of God's children, from the newborn babe in Christ to the most mature saint of God, what do they all have? The same exact thing. 
There's no difference. If the Apostle Paul were alive today, it, yeah, and this is the difference between Christianity and religion. In religion, you know what there are? There's division. And we consider one better than another based on stature or financial status or uh, mental intellect, whatever. Paul, Peter, James, John, they were different in all those things, were they not? Paul was indeed educated. But you know what Paul would tell you if you could talk with him? He is equal with who? Us. Hey, it, 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 it troubles me when preachers get to the point where people look at them like they're something special or unique or above those that have been put under their ministry. They're not. We're sinners saved by God's grace. We're all redeemed by the same blood and righteousness. We all stand exactly the same before God. You hear me? Because you cannot improve on what Christ did by his obedience unto death. Is that clear? And you notice this. He, he exhorts us, how he exhorts us, because what he's talking about here is how we deal with our brethren. Now, we should, now don't get me wrong, but you've got to remember, he's talking about our relationship within the church. We should be kind, compassionate to all men without it. He says to another, in another, he told Timothy, uh, I think it's Timothy, he told him, he says, as much as possible, we're to live peaceably with all men. He's not, he's not talking about here lowliness and meekness and long-suffering, forgiving one another in love. He's not talking about that in relationship to men outside of the gospel of God's grace, out from underneath that purview, okay? And he tells us when it comes to our brethren, we're to deal with them, listen, with all lowliness and meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Well, that's easy to do, ain't it? <laughs> that original word translated lawless, lowliness, low, lowliness, it means having a humble opinion of oneself. Or I like this. This is the best translation in the world. A deep sense. Listen to this now. A deep sense of one's moral littleness. A deep sense of one's moral littleness. See, that's the thing. You know when you become self-righteous? When you think you're better than somebody else, spiritually. You think there's, you, you, we were raised under, in false religion, a fruit inspector mentality, wasn't we? And we judged men by their fruits, and by their fruits, how did we judge them? By the way they walked, whether they were moral or sincere or dedicated or committed. That's not what he's talking about. He's, he's, he, think about it. This characteristic of lowliness, this humble opinion of oneself, it's not something that's natural to our humanity. Every one of us, and, I, and this is the thing about true religion, it, it takes away, and I, I told this to that young couple last night as we was talking, the, the true gospel and Christ's righteousness is the sinner's only hope, 
removes all the pretense from true Christianity. I don't have to try to impress you and pretend to be something that I'm not. And you don't have to pretend to be something that you're not. Yeah, and that's the way it was. When we, we were in false religion, we, we wanted to appear on Sunday morning to be the best of the best, did we not? And we didn't want anything out there that would throw any kind of, or cast any kind of shadow or besmirch ourselves. But this kind of thinking of yourself more lowly, not, it's not something that's natural to us. Now, you can't do that. Paul told those at Rome, For I say through the grace given unto me, talking about not the, the gift of salvation by grace or the gift of, of grow, growing in grace and knowledge of the truth, by that gift of grace. He's, talking about the, he's saying as an apostle to these brethren at Rome, By the grace of God given unto me as an apostle. What can an apostle do that you and I cannot do? You know what they could do? They could look at men and women and they could absolutely positively know their position before God. Remember, Ananias, go read the story about Ananias and Sapphira. They lied. Nobody knew the lie but the Holy Spirit. And Peter looked at them because he, they had the Spirit in a way that, that you, was unique to the office that they held. He told them, he said, why did you take it upon yourself to lie to the Holy Spirit? And dead. <laughs> Told him what, what you know when you when you sold the property, when you owned the property, whose was it? It was yours. When you sold the property and you had the money in your hand, whose was it? It was yours. But him and his wife, what did they connive to do? Because remember, at that point in time, in the beginning of the church, everybody everywhere in the church congregation sold everything that they had, and they had all things in common, right? They had a communal is what they had. And so they thought, okay, we sold this piece of property. We're going to pretend like we're giving all of it, but we're just going to give a little bit of it, and we're going to keep the wealth of it. And he said, why did y'all, why did, you didn't have to do that. And he died. And then she came in, and Peter questioned her. And it's amazing how both of them were, were, they were protecting themselves is what they were doing. And he's saying here, as this apostleship gives me the grace to tell you this, he tells them to every man that is among you. Listen to what he tells them. Not to think of himself or herself more highly than they ought to think, but to think soberly. According as God hath dealt to every man, every one of his elect, what's he dealt to every one of us? The measure of faith. All of us. The second word translated meekness means gentleness, mildness, and meekness. That's now the Apostle Paul used it, the same word when he wrote to those at Galatia. He said, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, and he's talking about a brother, if a brother or a sister be overtaken in a fault, and I like this the way he stated this, you which are spiritual, you which are spiritual, restore such a one. How are we to restore them? In a legal spirit, isn't it what it is? A judgmental spirit, no. Restore such a one, here's the same word, in the spirit of meekness, 
gentleness, kindness, compassion. Considering thyself. And this is what we always forget. Lest thou also be tested, be tempted. I think every one of us sitting in this congregation from the pulpit from the pew, we're one breath from God taking away his sustaining grace. And you know where every one of us would go? Uh-huh. Every one of us. Paul instructed and he admonished those justified saints at Colossus. He says, put on therefore as the elect of God. Now think about this. Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so do ye also. And above all things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Now think about it. First thing he tells them, can we agree that the elect of God are saved, that they're all going to heaven? So he starts off, and what does he tell them? Before he tells them anything else, he tells them what are the, is the elect of God, those, those chosen by God in everlasting covenant of grace, those redeemed, justified, and saved by Christ, obedience unto death, his bloody sacrifice at Calvary, those regenerated and converted by God the Holy Spirit in time. <clears throat> he says, as those people, what are you to do? Put on all these things. And I find it interesting that that original word translated put on, it means to sink into as sinking into clothing or literally to clothe. Now listen to this. This is important. To clothe oneself. So when he says to put on, to put on is the elect of God. What do we put on? Bowels of mercy. Kindness humbleness of mind, meekness, and long-suffering. He told them, and you and me as well, as the elect of God, we're to sink into or we're to clothe ourselves with a deep sense of our littleness. You hear me? Of what we are. I've told you this for decades now. Our lives should be regulated by this standard. Remember the whole of the pit from which you were digged, where you came from. I always think about that verse. I, mean, I, I look at Sally and I smile every time. I think, what do you have that you didn't receive? And if you received it, why do you boast? Why do you glory as if it wasn't a gift? Everything, everything we have spiritually, how, what is it? It's a gift of God's grace. Any progression, any growth in grace and knowledge of the truth, where does it come from? It comes from God's grace and mercy in Christ, period. It's not you're more sincere, more dedicated, more faithful. It's God working through you by his grace and by his mercy. But we're to, to put on every day this deep sense of our littleness. And we're listen, this is what we're to do. We're to always treat our brethren how? Our brethren. And this, boy, this is hard to do. With gentleness and meekness. I don't find it hard to do with anybody that's a member of Grace Baptist Church, but I tell you one of the I told somebody this week, 
If you're on Facebook, I'd encourage you to get off Facebook. I think I'd, I'd tell you that. And I told, I told Scott and Sonny yesterday, if it were not for the, the oasis that I have on Facebook and it were not for these live streams going on on Facebook, I tell you what, your pastor as a person, as an individual, I would close every single solitary, uh, what do you call them? What kind of accounts are they? They're a social media account. I'd close every one of them. Because even among brethren out there, you know what? There's so much crap out there. Oh, you spend all your time angry and upset and frustrated with what people say and do and misrepresent and misstate what people say with reckless abandon, naming names. I, I, I tell you what, it, we don't need... Paul didn't call out anybody in particular when he's telling them to put on these things. He calls out who? The whole group. Why? Every one of us are in need of these things. And if we would approach each other with gentleness and meekness as opposed to speaking all our mind, I always never forget my, my grandfather's third wife. I think that's what she was. Yeah, third wife. First one died. He married Myrtle, and they divorced, and then he married that third one, Stuart Quarles' grandma. And, and you know, I, I was Calvinistic, and I was throwing the five points at her, and she was a rank Arminian, and I didn't know the gospel anyhow, but still, she would tell me, and she, that, this, this was what made her so proud. One thing that you're always going to get out of me, I'm always going to speak my whole mind, and I always think about that. The scriptures tell us, I almost told her one time to speak, the scriptures tell us the fool does what? They speak their whole mind. We should, it, we should be slow to anger, should we not? Me too. But that's just, when somebody says something about you, you get angry. Now, you just, it's just human nature. Somebody says something about somebody you love, how do you react? But that's not the way it should be. How should we actually react to one another when things don't go right or wrong words are said or things are misrepresented? How should we approach? Keep your mouth shut would be the best way. Wouldn't it? Because this ain't about defending me and ain't about defending you or defending anybody else. We are what we are by the grace of God, but he doesn't stop there. He goes on. He tells us in all our dealings with our brethren, we should be long-suffering, which means patience, forbearance, slowness in avenging wrong. And then the Holy Spirit by the Apostle Paul's pen puts the capstone on it all. Forbearing one another in love. That word forbearing means to sustain, to bear, or to endure. Sometimes we just have to put up with some things. See, Paul wasn't writing these instructions and these admonitions to a bunch of rival gang members. You hear me? He wrote them to who? Brethren. Believing, justified, sanctified sons and daughters of the living God, those who are by God's grace, every single solitary one of them, one with Christ in the eyes of God's law and justice. Everyone, even that person you're at odds with, if they've rested in Christ, you know what they are? Same thing you are. They've been made the righteousness of God in him. 
They have the same Holy Spirit in them that you have in you, right? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Insults, quarrels, envies, and all those sinful things, you know where they all come from? Self-love. Every one of them. And the only way we can overcome these things is as we constantly remind ourselves that every one of our brothers and sisters in Christ, what are they? They're equally loved. They're equally redeemed. They're equally justified. They're equally sanctified. And listen, we are all made heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. They're not getting a bigger piece of the pie than anybody else, and you aren't either. We're all equal. And it can only be overcome when we remind ourselves that if God marked my iniquities, I th- when, when somebody wrongs you before you react or speak, you know what you ought to think? Look back. Look at yourself. Because if, if, God, if God were to charge me with the thoughts that I've had this morning, when that printer fouled this morning, and I didn't have my sermons printed and I didn't have a bulletin printed, and I was trying feverishly to get in that thing because it kept telling me I'd get, I drug all the paper out that I knew I could see. I had a flashlight in a suit and a tie down looking up inside a big office jet printer. And I couldn't remember how to get the top open on the thing. And I knew I had to get the top open to get it out. And I kept loading everything back and I'd hit print and it would say paper jam. And I couldn't see paper anywhere. I about lost my mind. <laughs> I'm like, what am I going to do? And so I, I, I ran in there and yelled at Pam, where's your printer at? And I got her, I went and found her printer and brought it downstairs and hooked it all up and plugged it into my laptop and wouldn't recognize, wouldn't recognize her printer. And I'm like, what am I going to do now? I don't have a sermon. I don't have a Sunday school lesson. I ain't got the only bulletin I had printed was Kenny's blind Braille copy of the bulletin that I printed last night. And I'm like, what am I going to do? And I mean, I could, I'm one of them people, when things go bad like that, the first thing that gets upset is my stomach. I could just feel it, all, everything in me was like the gurgling sound, like, oh, no, here we go, you know. What is that? Well, that dog got sick this week. Now, my little dog got sick. That's all I could think about. It's a dog. I mean, I love my dog. I do. I love my dog. But... Why, why do we get so, so caught up and so enamored to where our whole world comes unwound if things don't work out in a way that's smooth for us? That, everything that's happened to me this week, everything that happens to you, you know what it happens for? It happens by the will and purpose of God for an express reason. Because if it wasn't for your good, you know what would never happen? That's the thing we got to get. I can't get in my head. I've been, I've been doing this for 36 years, and I still have not learned this lesson. Hard is like a big block of wood. Everything that comes into my life, it does not come but directed by love and purpose for his glory, for my good, and for the advancement of his kingdom. Now, I still ain't learned the lesson, but I still know, I know. I know what it comes into my life for. But if God were to charge that to me, folks, but thank God, where'd he charge it? See, before I ever committed any of it, where's it all been charged? Where was it imputed? He bore all our sins in his body on the tree, and by his stripes 
we are healed. We can learn to put the same value on each one of our fellow believers that Christ does. And if we'll take the time to consider our own selves and remember our own iniquities and infirmities, you know what? Then we might be more prone to be more patient, more forgiving with others. But we, we will hold other people, me too, you too, we hold people to a higher standard and responsibility than we hold ourselves to. I can't believe they did that. And yet, what are we guilty of the same? Huh? Notice what he said in verse 3. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That word endeavor means to hasten, to exert oneself, or to give diligence to. So in other words, he's telling us, you give diligence to keep this unity of peace. I always think of this verse. I don't know where it's at. Ken, I know you'll look it up and you'll tell me later. <laughs> Can two walk together except they be agreed? Last night, or yesterday afternoon, when I talked with that young couple, you know, I mean, when you, you've never met anybody. I mean, I never, and they speak a little different than us. You do know that. <laughs> Quite a bit different. They said, they said, we understand you clearly, and I thought, something's wrong if y'all can understand my language clearly. Because <laughs> I'm having trouble understanding a lot of what they but they're just precious people. And You know, when you meet somebody for the first time, like if, if you go to a new job, you know, when you start a new job, those first few days that you're there, what's it like? Huh? Or you go to a conference or something because of your job or a meeting when your job, and they start one of those things where everybody's sitting around a table and they say, let's everybody at the table tell everybody, we're going to go one at a time, we'll go around the table, and you tell everybody about yourself. You know what? How do you feel? Huh? Unless you're just a, a, a true born and died extrovert, Every one of us, what we become introverted, like I don't know about this. I don't, yeah. And we start thinking about, well, I hope I say everything right, or I hope I don't stutter or mess up or mispronounce something, you know. But you know, so when you meet when you meet strangers, just in the world in general, you're careful about the way you say things. But that's the thing that amazes me about brethren in Christ that have Christ in you, the hope of glory, just like you have Christ in you, the hope of glory. We were able to talk to one another like we had known each other for decades, and I met them for two hours. I, I got to the end of the conversation, and I, I, I was in tears. I was. It just, I, I was just so filled with joy over, over the discovery of these people, you know, and to, 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 to see them talk about what they've learned and, you know, their, their zeal to, to, to tell their parents. You know, I told them, I, said, I, told them, I said, let me, Save, save you, save you some trouble right here. They said, they said we sent. They said we were so excited what we heard. She said, I sent one of one of your sermons to my mama, and he, she said, I just thought they 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 got to hear this, and I know they hear the same thing that that we've heard. But it's it's what it's a revelation. And I said, how'd that work out? And she said, it didn't work out real well. You know it. But it, it, it amazes me the bond of peace that true brethren have with each other. It, I, I've been to places, never been there before when I went up to Scott Price and M's and preached back in, I think it 
think it was 2017. It's hard to believe it's been that long ago. Didn't know those people for, from Adam, and they, it, it was like we knew each other. It's like being here with you. When I go down there to Bill and them, I see those people once a year, once every two years, and go in there, and it's, it's as comfortable to be around them as I am comfortable to be around you. And for the most part, we don't have anything in common other than what? Kenny could care less about football. I know he could. I love football. Kenny, not, Kenny, Kenny builds stuff. I can't build nothing. I can't even keep a printer running. Yeah. Kenny came and fixed my appliances over at the house because I can't do it. <laughs> I'd either get electrocuted or burn up whatever I'm trying to work on. And Kenny and I spent all that time together. We were growing up, never had anything in common. We got something that bonds us together now. And I count him like my dearest brother that I've ever had on this planet. Now I do. And the reason is I have our hope. We have differences on the way we view justification as far as eternity or at the cross, and some are at faith. It's never been a block of stumbling, not one time. And I tell you what, it never will be. Because our hope is what? In that righteousness, which is the gospel. The gospel is what? The declaration of the righteousness of God. That's the gospel. And it's by that righteousness that we're justified. You understand that? The gospel is not justification by faith. Justification is a result of what? This righteousness, this declared. That's what we declare to men and women. What's the gospel message? God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. That's the gospel. That justifies sinners. That sanctifies sinners. Is what keeps sinners. Not anything the sinner does or anything that the sinner is enabled to do. It's Christ and Christ alone. And that, that, listen, that bond can't be broken. But he tells us that what are we to do with that unity of peace that we enjoy? He says to, to keep, to endeavor to keep it, the unity of the Spirit. And it's affected in the believer by the Holy Spirit by whom every one of us, what are we baptized into? One body. Not physical baptism, but the spiritual baptism. And it, I'd have you to notice here he exhorts you and me to keep the unity, to keep it. So if he's telling us to keep it, what does it presuppose? That we already have it. We have a unity of peace, now keep it. Dwell in it, abide in it. You know, and we judge it by this, if any man abide not in the doctrine of Christ, he hath not God. If a man or if you know, if a man or woman abides in the doctrine of Christ, what do they do? They have the Father and they have the Son, and whatever they, they're in fellowship with us, and we're in fellowship with them. And see, this, this is that unity of all who believe and support the same gospel and all who abide in the same doctrine of Christ. And it's a unity of all those whom the world hates. John wrote to the, in his second epistle, he says, the elder unto the elect lady and her children whom I love. How do you love them? In the truth. And not only I, 
but also all they that have known the truth. So not only does John love this woman in the truth, he said everybody that knows the truth that's with him, what do they do? They love this elect lady and her children. Why? For the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us. You know the truth? Truth will set you free. You'll be free indeed and shall be forever, be, be with us forever. God, grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father in truth and in love. See, this division we're to guard against, it's not only in doctrine. We should be, we should be zealous for the doctrines of grace. Now, we should be. But it, it's also, he's telling us that we're to keep this unity of peace that's caused by any clashes, what? In personalities. I know some abrasive people that are believers, and you do too. <laughs> and he's saying, we've got to get beyond personalities. And we've got to get, and this is a hard one too, we've got to get beyond, as believers, we need to get beyond anything that would cause hard feelings with anybody else. There's, there's nothing that any believer can do to another believer for which they should separate. You believe that? Uh-huh. I know this much. The scriptures tell us that for the brother, remember, remember the apostle said, Lord, how many times am I supposed to forgive my brother? He said, seven times? And the Lord said, oh, no, not, not seven times. Forgive him how? Seven times 70. We can't even forgive one time sometimes. And I tell you, brethren, these things ought not to be. There should, be nothing, there should be nothing that separates believers from the body of Christ except if there is a doctrine that is false that is believed and embraced and, and propagated by those that claim to be of like precious faith. Then you ought to go away from it and run from it. And see, we, we have to remember that our God, what is, he's a God of peace. And our Lord Jesus Christ, what is he called in the scriptures? He's the Prince of Peace. And you and I have in us, by regeneration and conversion, we have in us what? The Holy Spirit, whose fruit is what? Peace. Not our fruit, it's His fruit. And we are, think about it, you and I are sons of peace. And we have to cultivate this peace. Now we do. In unity among ourselves, and we do so how? By humility. Long-suffering and forbearance. Notice what he says in verse 4 through 6. Why should we treat our brethren this way? He says there's one body, and there he is. What? There's one body, Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, male, female. All of them equally loved, equally saved, equally sure for heaven. You want verse on that? Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 through 28. There's one spirit, the Holy Spirit, who makes all of us partakers of salvation. Listen to this verse. I, I, want you to read, I want to read you this one. Not a different spirit in me that's in you. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 to these uh, Corinthian believers, you and me included because we subsequently read this letter, he makes this statement to them. He says, I desired Titus, and with him I sent a brother. Did Titus... Make a gain of you, walk ye not in the same spirit. 
Hear that? Walk ye not in the same, don't you walk in the same spirit? Walk we not in the same steps? There's one hope, right? We're saved by hope. All saved on the same ground of salvation. There's one Lord who? Christ, being equal with God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And for this cause, what did God do? God highly exalted him and given him a name that's above every name, that's the name of Jesus Christ. Every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. What? Owner, master of his church. There's one faith. He tells us there's one baptism. We all, we all are united through believers' baptism into this. We, we show our, identify ourselves with this one true gospel, this one hope of salvation condition on Christ alone. He says there's one God and Father of all. What does that mean? Well, we're all equally adopted into God's family. And every one of us are called by his name. And he's above all, and he is. He's the source and the originator of our salvation. He's through all. What does that mean? In the perfections of his nature, he appears actively engaged for all of our salvation. Everything he works, he works it all out in our lives. And he's in you all. Think about that. He's in every one of his children. God the Father indwells us how? By his Holy Spirit. Look at verse 7 and we'll quit. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And we'll close with this this morning. Since Christ determines our place in his body, and he measures out to each of his own the grace we need to perform the duties, what should we never do? We should not ever envy one another. But what should we do? We should be thankful for one another. Like Paul, all our confession is exactly the same. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, for I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I. How'd you do what you did, Paul? but the grace of God which was with me. And we'll stop right there and we'll come back and we'll look next week at uh, uh, the gospel ministry next week. You're dismissed the worship. I appreciate your presence. Mm -hmm.